Good morning, church. Good to see you. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. I want to welcome everyone who's listening online as well. Um, we're so glad that you've joined us for today's service. Uh, QR code for the e-bulletin. I uh, want to remind you uh, that the e-bulletin sh- tells you how you can download the Calvary Chapel Greeley app. That's for your benefit and for your blessing. So uh, take advantage of it. You can put it on your mobile device, on your smartphone, and uh, then you have it there. And we can stay in contact with you. And uh, you have the latest teachings and all that on that mobile app. Uh, as we are um, into September, fall season coming up here, a few quick announcements. I want to remind the young adults, 18 to 26 years of age, that you have young adults study on Friday nights here at the church at 7 o'clock. And Pastor Luke, who's leading worship, leads the young adults. And I know it will be a time of refreshment. Just be blessed in every way as you come on Friday nights. Middle school fall hike, Saturday, September 24th. So that's coming up this Saturday, 7 o'clock in the morning to 4 o'clock. Sign up and get permission slips in the youth room. So parents, if you have middle schoolers uh, upstairs in the youth room, you haven't signed up, you can do so upstairs. You can talk to Austin, our youth leader, and he'll answer any questions that you might have. But a great time of year for them to be up hiking, and and they'll be up uh, towards Rocky Mountain National Park. Operation Christmas Child Sewing Day on Friday, September the 30th, and that'll be from 9 to 3 o'clock, and they'll be sewing some kids' clothes for Operation Christmas Child Shoe Boxes. So you can bring your own sewing machine. If you've got any questions, uh, it is Teresa Romero that oversees that ministry, and she will be in the office on Tuesday. You can call her in the morning and she'll answer the phone and she'll answer any questions you might have. Fall festival time, October the 1st, 4 to 6 o'clock. Open house, lots of fun activity. There's these door hangers that you can invite somebody out to that. And there's going to be games and crafts and snacks and uh, face painting and all that. A lot of activity for the kids. Opportunity for you parents, grandparents to bring your kids and the fellowship during that time as well. So 4 to 6 o'clock on Saturday, October the 1st. And you can see the e-bulletin for more uh, information and grab one of those door hangers and invite somebody. We also have Koinia Fellowship, Friday, October the 7th, hosted by Jim and Rhonda Aris at their home. Sign up at the information desk through or through the e-bulletin. You can find their address there as well. Again, Friday, October the 7th, 6 to 8 o'clock. And then Marriage Fellowship is Saturday, October the 8th, 6 to 8 o'clock here at the church and you can sign up at the information desk or through the e-bulletins. And then ladies, the ladies one-day conference, the theme is Steadfast. Doors will open up on 8 o'clock on uh, Saturday, October the 15th. And the conference will be from 9 to 2 o'clock, $10, $10 at the door. And we'll serve you lunch. And uh, we'll have some things for, uh, for you to be able to just uh, have for uh, some breakfast items and things like that as you come in. So doors open at 8, 9 o'clock conference starts. It'll be over at 2, and we will serve you lunch. So get more information through the e-bulletin or at the information desk. So ladies, if you can take um, advantage of that one-day conference, I know that you'll be tremendously blessed by the speakers, by the worship, and everything that takes place. A lot of other things that are there in your e-bulletin, but this morning we have a Bible study. Amen. So let's open up our Bibles to um, to Daniel chapter 12, Daniel chapter 12, the forerunner to the book of Revelation. So we got this week, next week, we'll finish the book of Daniel. People have been asking me all morning, what are we going to study after the book of Daniel? 
Come back in a couple weeks and I'll tell you. So, <laughs> Kind of reminds me of the Lord. A lot of times I'll go to the Lord and I'll say, Lord, what's going to happen you know, next week or six weeks or six months from now? He says, you trust me today. Come back tomorrow. We'll talk about it some more. But we'll be studying Galatians in the next in a couple of weeks, so that'll be our new study, which is a really, really important study, okay? Because there's one gospel, and Paul makes it very clear that one gospel. And there's those who will come along in the day in which we're living in, just as it was 2,000 years ago, the, the Judaizers saying, well, that's great that you have faith in Jesus Christ, but there's more to it. So we want to make sure that you understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, uh, what it means to be saved by grace through faith, and uh, that the law won't save you. And so those are very important things for us to be grounded in because there's always somebody that comes along and says, well, why don't you observe the Sabbath day? I have that happen almost every week. Why aren't you baptized? Why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? And listen, our salvation is not based on what we do is based on what he did. Amen? So we're going to get grounded in that, and it's a very important study. So we'll start that in a couple of weeks. But this morning, we do have Daniel chapter 12 before us, the last chapter of this incredible book that we've been studying. And we do read at verse 1, that at that time Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Even to that time, and at that time your people shall be delivered. Everyone who is found written in the book, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And verse 3, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask that you'd help us to be just in our seats, ready to learn and hear from you. And even though we talk about some pretty heavy things that are yet future that this world is going to go through, we do know that we have a deliverance. We do know that we have a living hope. And I pray that we would understand that even as there is a timeline in the prophetic scenario that is before us, that each and every one of us, that we have a timeline in our lives. So, Lord, we want to do well in the things of the Lord. We want to be taught, be sensitive to what you tell us in the text that is before us. To not only look at the implication, but the application for our lives. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So as we look at the opening words of Daniel chapter 12, these three verses, keep in mind that it's still the same vision that, that we have seen since chapter 10. Uh, and we've been in chapter 10, chapter 11, the last few weeks. That vision continues now, still part of that vision through verse 3 of chapter 12. And if you've been with us in our study of Daniel, it has been a remarkable study because the first six chapters are very practical. It's a narrative. It speaks of the person of Daniel, how he was dedicated to the Lord, and he uh, was one that was determined not to defile himself and we saw that from a young age when Daniel was taken off into captivity. And because of that, the Lord blessed him and, and was uh, one that worked on his behalf in, in mighty ways. But then in chapter 7 through 12, we've seen the prophecies of Daniel. 
And if you've been with us in our study, you know that Daniel uh, records here in his book four visions that he had received from the Lord. Chapter 7, the four great beasts that came out of the great sea. And he describes the first three beasts, but then the fourth beast, he said it's dreadful, it's terrible, tramples everything in its way. He doesn't tell us what kind of beast it was. But he says that that beast had ten horns, and in the midst of the ten horns, there was a little horn that we know is reference to the Antichrist. We know that the ten horns are ten kings that correlate with the ten toes of Daniel chapter 2. That in the latter days, in the days in which Christ comes back, that we know that there's going to be this revived Roman Empire that will be on the scene. And this political leader that will be a world leader that will come on the scene as well, known as the Antichrist, or the little horn of chapter 7. Chapter 8, the second vision. That we see that there's the vision of the, the ram and the goat. And speaking of the Medo-Persian Empire that came after Babylon. And then it would be taken over by Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. And it would be Alexander the Great who conquered the known world at a young age. That when he died, he passed the empire on to four of his generals. And the book of Daniel in chapter 8, and also as we saw over the last couple of weeks in chapter 11, focuses on uh, two of the dynasties that were on the scene at that time. The Ptolemies in Egypt and then the Seleucid family that was in Syria. And we know that the little horn of chapter 8 is spoken to us that speaks of a man that was on the scene, uh, not the little horn of chapter 7, but the little horn in chapter 8 spoke of Antiochus Epiphanes that came into Jerusalem in about 175 B.C. He persecuted the Jews very heavily. He desecrated the temple. He killed many of the Jews. He tried to abolish you know, Judaism and, and their practices and temple worship. And it would be eventually that Judas Maccabees and the Jews would drive out the forces of Antiochus. But he is a picture of that little horn of chapter 8 points to the coming Antichrist that is yet future that will persecute the Jews even more heavily, that is more vile, that will desecrate the temple. And we also saw in chapter 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel, as Gabriel came and said, Daniel, that I've come to give you understanding concerning your people in your holy city, and 70 weeks are determined for them. And not only were we looking at the prophecy of the 70 weeks of Daniel, but specifically the 70th week, which is going to begin with the Antichrist that makes a covenant with Israel for one week or a seven-year period. And in the middle of the week, then we know that will be what is called the abomination of desolation. Jesus spoke of that in Matthew chapter 24, that he says when you see that, there's going to be great tribulations such as the world has never seen before. And in that, in that covenant, it seems to indicate that it's going to allow the Jews to rebuild their temple. And we also know that it's going to be the Antichrist as we go to the fourth vision that began in chapter 10. Daniel's praying for three weeks. Uh, angel comes to him and says, Daniel, God heard your words from day one, and I came to you, but I was held up by this prince of Persia, and Michael the archangel had to come and help me. And then in chapter 11, over the last couple of weeks, 135 prophecies that are given there, many of those prophecies, as we know, that were near fulfillment, that would speak of that time uh, of the Ptolemies and the Seleucid family under the Grecian Empire would fight back and forth, how Antiochus again came into Jerusalem and persecuted the Jews very heavily. And then all of a sudden, there is a leap 
to the future Antichrist, that he will come into Jerusalem as well. And as we looked at that, and it continues through verse 3 of chapter 12, that the Antichrist, not only is he a political leader, but he is a religious leader as well. He will proclaim himself as God in the temple of God. That's what the abomination of desolation is all about. He will say to the world, you worship me at that time in the middle of the tribulation period. And also, he's a military leader as well. And he will be involved in that last world war, as we saw described in verses 40 through 45 of chapter 11. The kings of the south, the kings of the north and east, will come against the Antichrist, which is camped in Jerusalem in that last battle called the Battle of Armageddon that will take place in northern Israel in the valley that is called Jezreel, or the Valley of Megiddo. So all of this has taken place in that time frame that we call the tribulation period, a period of seven years. You have the rise of the Antichrist, but during that time, we also know that you have God pouring out his wrath on a Christ-rejected world. The reason that Daniel is called the forerunner to the book of Revelation is because Daniel gives us a timeline which is very important to understand concerning end-time prophecy. And we know that that timeline is spoken of, the tribulation period, in details in chapters 6 through 19 of the book of Revelation. The tribulation period will end with the second coming of Jesus Christ. And as he comes back, as the book of Zechariah tells us, he will come back, he will touch down the Mount of Olives, the Mount of Olives will heave in half, we will come back with him, and we will rule and reign with him in the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. And at that time as well, we will see the promises of the Old Testament of the restoring of Israel that will come to pass as well. And then we know that that's when peace will come. That's when righteousness and uh, will cover the earth as waters covered the sea, as Isaiah says. His glory will cover all of the earth. And the Prince of Peace will bring peace to this world because Jesus will be ruling with a rod of iron, as Psalm chapter 2 tells us, the nations of the world. But in the meantime, we're being told here, and as we have seen as in our study of the book of Daniel, that there's some very difficult days that are ahead, uh, some very much Turmoil that is headed for not only Israel, but for the whole world. I don't know if some of you that are old enough to remember, but in the 90s, in the 80s and 90s, there was a popular bumper sticker that you would see on a lot of cars, and it would say, Think Peace. Any of you remember that? And that has always been the hope for man, that there will be peace, but it will not come. It will not come because that's what God's word declares. It will not come until the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes. And ever since his death and burial and resurrection and ascension into heaven 2,000 years ago, there has not been a single year of peace on this planet. We know that there have been thousands of wars. There have been million upon millions of lives that have been lost. The money spent in developing weapons and producing weapons can't be calculated. It's in the trillions of dollars. Man has never been able to bring peace to this planet. And it will only come when the Prince of Peace, Jesus Christ, comes. So in verse 1 here, as we read, I'll read it to you. At that time, connected with chapter 11, at that time, at the end of the tribulation period, that Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. 
And there's going to be a time of trouble since the nation has never seen. And Michael is one of two angels that are mentioned in the Bible. The other one we have seen, of course, is Gabriel. And Gabriel has been mentioned in Daniel as well as Michael. And we know that there was another angelic being that was named in the book of Ezekiel. He was the anointed cherub that was called Lucifer. But according to Isaiah chapter 14, he became prideful. He wanted to sit on the throne of God, to exalt himself as God, and he fell and became Satan. Both Gabriel and Michael are, have special relationship to Israel. Gabriel seems to have messages, as we have seen, that relate to the coming Messiah. Michael seems to be the guardian, if you would, to watch over Israel. Now keep in mind this, that Satan is not the opposite equal of God. Sometimes I've talked with Christians and they, they kind of have this picture of Satan and God going back and forth and light and darkness and who's going to win and it's a struggle. Listen, Satan is no match to God. Matter of fact, we know that as he exalted himself, wanted to sit on the throne of God, that it tells us, Jesus said that to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning to the earth. I think that God just spoke and he fell. And we know that as we look at this, that Satan probably is more opposite uh, of perhaps Michael. And I, I, I say that with hesitation because I don't even know if that's true. Revelation chapter 20, uh, when Jesus Christ comes back and at the beginning of the millennium reign, that it says an angel comes and bounds Satan up. It isn't God. It doesn't mention Michael the archangel, just an angel comes and bounds him up and throws him into the bottomless pit. So Satan is a powerful, you know, demonic being that leads to demonic forces, but he's not the opposite, uh, you know, power of God. He's nowhere near the Lord in his power and omnipotence and in all of that. So at this time here, that Michael will stand up. Remember we ended with the battle of Armageddon that is being described to us. And Michael will stand up and there shall be a time of great trouble such as the nation has never seen. This is relative to Israel. Trouble such uh, they have not seen ever since they were a nation. Now we can think about 4,000 years of history concerning the Jews and the children of Israel. And during the 4,000 years up to the present, they have gone through such persecution. They've gone through trials and difficulties and captivity and upheaval and wars and, and all these things that we see that has happened in their history. For example, go back to the book of Exodus, the children of Israel in slavery there from the time of Pharaoh and then Pharaoh trying to have the male children thrown into the Nile River. You think about this time here, the captivity and Nebuchadnezzar coming into Jerusalem to destroy Jerusalem and, and level Solomon's temple and the captivity that Daniel was in that he would spend most of his life in. We think about the Medo-Persian king, Xerxes, given the command to kill all the Jews there in the book of Esther. You think about, as we talked about last week, uh, that Syrian king Antiochus Epiphanes, what he did to the Jews. It is believed that he killed up to 100,000 of them in Jerusalem, took many of them off into slavery. Then in the New Testament, you have Herod the Great at the time of Jesus' birth. And we know that is part of the account of the, the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus Christ, that he made a decree to kill all the male children two years and under there in the area of Bethlehem. 
Then in 70 AD, the Romans coming in and destroying the second temple and leveling Jerusalem. Josephus, the Jewish historian, writes that 1.1 million Jews were killed at that time and 100,000 taken off into captivity and they were dispersed throughout the nations in our own lifetime. World War II, Hitler and the Holocaust. Six million Jews were killed. And after they came into the land and became a nation once again in 1948 after World War II, an absolute miracle that you see that the nations around Israel have wanted to destroy her. They said, we will push her into the sea. But Daniel chapter 12, as we look at all the trouble and difficulty that they've gone through, and other portions of scripture tell us that there will be a time of trouble. Jeremiah called it Jacob's trouble in Jeremiah chapter 30. Let me read it to you. It's, it's quite a remarkable portion of scripture in chapter 30 that speaks about the restoration of Israel and Judah. But before that, that we read in verse 7, For alas, for the day is great, so that none is like it. It is a time of Jacob's trouble, and he shall be saved out of it. He, the prophet writes that uh, we ask and see whether a man is ever in labor with child. So why do I see every man with his hands on his loins like a woman in labor and all faces turn pale? So he speaks of Jeremiah prophesying of this time of Jacob's trouble. This is the same time period that is being spoken of here in these verses that we read in Daniel chapter 12. And we know that Jesus, that he said concerning this time, that when you see the abomination of desolation spoken of Daniel the prophet, that begins the last three and a half years of the tribulation period called the great tribulation, Jacob's trouble. Jesus himself said that it will be trouble such as the world has never seen or ever will see again. You need to flee. So as we look at this, we know not only is it a time of great tribulation for Israel, but for the whole world. Zechariah tells us that Jerusalem will be a cup of trembling for all the nations. And the Bible is very clear that the world, and specifically Israel, is headed to a day, a time, unlike any other time in world history. Daniel writes a time of trouble, such as never since there has been a nation, and the world is going to be drugged along into that. Uh, little country, Israel, this little country the size of New Jersey is going to be the focus and the epicenter of this time of trouble. But there will be a conclusion to it. It will culminate to a conclusion. And here we read that Michael shall stand up the great prince who watched over the sons of your people. Again, speaking of the Jews. It is very clear it's not speaking of the church. Michael, of course, is an angelic being, as I've mentioned, as we've seen in Daniel chapter 10. And every time that we see Michael mentioned in the scripture, he is in conflict. Michael, the archangel, definite article. He is the archangel coming against the prince of Persia, as we read in chapter 10, a demonic creature. We also see Michael in the book of Jude, that little epistle that's in the back of your Bible right before the book of Revelation. Only one chapter, a few verses. And we see that Michael's mention is being in conflict with Satan himself over the body of Moses. Now, when you read that, you think, what is that all about? And could it be, it's a study for another time, that is speaking about that time where 
Moses, that he could be one of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11. It has something to do with that. Revelation chapter 12. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon Satan, and the dragon was cast to the earth. And when he is cast to the earth, then it is at that time that Daniel is speaking about here, this time of trouble, the last three and a half years before Christ's return to establish his kingdom, that Satan then is going to move in wrath and anger and give power to the Antichrist, Revelation chapter 13 tells us. Michael will stand up in this time of Jacob's trouble, and there will be a deliverance to those who are written in the book. We know from Romans chapter 11, from Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and many other passages of the Old Testament, that there will be a turning back to the Lord for the Jews, as Paul says in Romans chapter 11, at that time, that all of Israel will be saved. Matter of fact, reading from the book of Zechariah, that Zechariah in chapter 11 He speaks about the Antichrist. He says, Woe, in chapter 11, the last verse, to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall be completely weathered, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Those of you who are students of the book of Revelation, you know that Revelation chapter 13 talks about a head wound that the Antichrist is going to receive. Uh, It's going to seem like that, that he is dead, but then he's going to come back to life, whether he resuscitates from that, that wound that uh, seems like that kills him or he actually resurrects as he's empowered by Satan. We don't know for sure, but Zechariah mentions it. Somehow he's going to receive a head wound, some kind of assassination attempt or something like that. We don't know for sure. But then in chapter 13, these are very sobering verses. Zechariah chapter 13 That as we read that in the tribulation period, the great tribulation, it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds of it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire. That's remarkable. Will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. Then they will call on my name and I will answer them. And I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. Speaking when they will recognize that Jesus is their Messiah. As, as we know from chapter 12, and I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication, and they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Here's a sobering thought, chapter 13, where it says that two-thirds will be cut off. One-third shall be brought through the fire, being refined as gold. Is that telling us that the Antichrist are going to kill two-thirds of the Jews? You see, when Hitler killed six million, that was one out of every three Jews, the Antichrist who is more vile than Antioch, is more vile than Hitler, it seems to indicate to us that he's going to kill two out of every three Jews. He is also going to put to death the tribulation saints. We know that when he proclaims himself as God, to be worshipped as God in the temple of God, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, that as he says, I am to be worshipped alone, he will destroy that false church that he supports in the first half of the tribulation period. Then he says, I alone want to be worshipped, because that's something Satan has always wanted. And those who do not take the mark of the beast, Revelation chapter 13, will be put to death. So it's not only speaking of the Jews who will reject him and say, you're not our Messiah. 
We are not going to worship your image that you set up in the temple. And we know that the tribulation saints, and there are going to be many that are going to be saved during that time. You say, well, what about us, the church? I believe we will be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. I believe in the blessed hope that we are going to be taken out of and away from the hour of tribulation only one time. That's during the tribulation period, that seven-year period, and that we're going to be in heaven. And then we will come back with them. So always keep in mind that when it comes to the return of the Lord, there's two aspects. The rapture of the church where he comes for his church. And then the second coming of Jesus Christ where he comes back literally to establish his kingdom. We know when that's going to be at the end of the tribulation period. And we come back with him. But there are going to be the 144,000 evangelists that are going to be there in the tribulation period, evangelizing the world, the two witnesses of Revelation chapter 11, the angel that gives the everlasting gospel to every person in Revelation chapter 14. And as a result of that, many are going to come to Christ, and the Antichrist is going to go after them. And he's going to put them to death. You think it's bad now? The upheaval and the trouble that we see now is just a shadow of what is coming. And so I am very grateful that, as Paul said, comfort one another with the blessed hope that we have before us. And we have a deliverance of those of us who are written in the book of life. I believe that this is a reference to that. Moses speaks of it in Exodus chapter 33. When God was going to judge his people for making the golden calf, Moses interceded on behalf of them. Remember, he went back up on the mountain. He said, Father, they've sinned a great sin and, and fornication and idolatry. Forgive them, but if not, blot me out of your book that you have written. And of course, the Lord said, they'll be responsible for their own sin. David would write about the book of life. Revelation chapter 13 and 17 and 20, I believe there are six references to the book of life or the Lamb's book of life in the book of Revelation. It was Jesus that said to his disciples in Luke chapter 10, when the 70 were sent out two by two and they came back and they're all excited, they're going, we work miracles, the demons were subject to us. And Jesus said, don't rejoice in that, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. So there is a book of life. And in this time of the greatest upheaval and trouble in the history of mankind, there is deliverance. And there is hope. And there is a book of life. And in verse 2, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. This is speaking about the resurrection. Now the resurrection can be very confusing to Christians. The resurrection is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And the resurrection is not just speaking about eternal life. It is speaking about that. But it's speaking about, listen, eternal life in a new heavenly body. That these bodies that we have here are going to be resurrected at the sound of the trumpet, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. The dead in Christ will rise first, and then there will be a generation of Christians that will meet the Lord in the air and will get new glorified bodies. So the resurrection is speaking about that time. You see, our bodies, we know it, are temporary. They wear out. 
And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, as Paul would write about that we have this, this earthly house that we have. Uh, earthly house, this, this tent uh, that will be destroyed um, and we will have a building from God, a house not made with hands, but eternal in heaven, groaning, desiring to be clothed with their habitation, which is from heaven. And we know it to be true that the older we get, the more we groan, don't we? And all of our bodies are eventually going to wear out. They're temporary. But then Paul, he's saying, listen, that you have a habitation, a house, a tent. It's not made with hands. That is here. It's going to be made by God in heaven. He's going to give you a new body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, as we look at that, that we know that... Um, that it speaks of uh, the resurrection, the longest chapter uh, in the book of First Corinthians. And Paul starts out that chapter by saying this, that Christ is risen from the grave. All the witnesses, Cephas, Cephas that is Peter, um, I've seen him, 500 witnesses have seen him. And Paul's making a point in that chapter that the very foundation of our faith is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If Christ didn't rise from the grave physically, bodily then we have no hope then we're still in our sins and because christ rose from the grave listen that we have the promise of the resurrection as well we're going to be resurrected christ the first fruits afterwards those who are in christ at his coming and he goes on to explain that we will rise from the grave we will rise in each one in his or her own order now in the old testament they knew about resurrection it was Abraham that believed God it would resurrect Isaac if he was killed on the altar. Genesis chapter 22. Abraham, here I am, Lord. Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the mount that I will show you and offer him as a sacrifice for me. God was testing Abraham. And as Abraham was about ready to plunge the knife into Isaac, his son, the Lord says, stop, Abraham. Now I know that you fear me, that you love me. It's a study again for another time. But we learn from Hebrews that it tells us that in faith, Abraham believed God would raise him from the grave because the promise, the covenant, would go through his, his only son, Isaac. We know that Job, that he spoke of the resurrection. He said, when my body is destroyed by worms, I will see him, for my Redeemer lives. David wrote about resurrection, and he wrote about specifically the resurrection of Jesus Christ in Psalm 16. You will not allow your Holy One to see corruption. And then Peter would use that portion of Scripture to explain the resurrection of Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. Resurrection is spoken in Isaiah 26, Hosea 13 and 14. You remember in John chapter 11 that as Jesus was there standing at the tomb of Lazarus, that Lazarus' sister, Martha, is there weeping. And Jesus said to Martha, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So they thought it was all going to be at once. Of course, Jesus comes along and at that time and he says, I am the resurrection and life. And though you may die, if you believe in me, you shall live. And the Bible speaks about the first resurrection, and the Bible speaks about the second resurrection, Revelation chapter 20. So the first resurrection, Christ, the first fruits of the resurrection, afterwards, those who are in Christ, 
each in their own order. So when the rapture of the church happens, those who are in Christ will rise up, and then those who are alive who are Christians will also at that time get their new glorified heavenly bodies. And then, as we know, that Paul writes about that as well in 1 Corinthians 15, that we shall not all sleep, speaking of death, but shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Not the blink of an eye. Twinkling of an eye. Which is the speed of light reflecting off your eye. And not all shall sleep, but there's going to be a moment at the sound of the trump that you shall be changed. And this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortality, this mortal put on immortality, in other words. Now, this is where Christians get confused. I get asked this all the time. Does that mean that when we die that we go into a soul sleep? There's a false doctrine that the seven-day Adventists have taught other circles of Christianity that when you die, you go into soul sleep until the resurrection. That's not what the Bible teaches. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, read it as he is writing about the resurrection. In verse 8 of the chapter, he says, But knowing this, this is the promise of God, that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So when you take your last breath, when you close your eyes, that you immediately go to be with the Lord. The, when it talks about sleep, the body sleeps but not the soul, not the spirit, okay? So I've done many, many gravesides, um, internments, and, and we're at the cemetery, the casket's lowered, or the urn is put in the ground, whatever it may be, and it is there, the body sleeps, and at the sound of the trumpet, at the rapture of the church, for you and for me, that that's when they will get that new resurrected body, that that body which is in the ground, will be resurrected. Graves will be opened up. It's, it's quite incredible. We can't fully understand it, but that's what the Bible declares. But that loved one that you know that is a Christian has gone home to be with the Lord. So remember that. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You don't go into soul sleep for the time of, till the time of the you know, rapture of the church. It, it's Jesus. Remember he told the thief on the cross? He said, you're going to be with me in paradise before the sun has set. And we know that they would die, and that thief was with Jesus in paradise. Their bodies were still there till their bodies were taken down from the cross. Jesus didn't say, uh, first you're going to soul sleep for a couple thousand years, and then you'll be with me. Paul the apostle, when he was writing to the Philippian believers, that he doesn't know in that first imprisonment whether he's going to be released or he's going to be executed by Nero. He says, you know, I'm between two opinions. To go home, be with the Lord. To die is gain. To go home is better for me. He didn't say, I'm going to soul sleep for 2,000 years. To stay here is better for you guys. And, of course, Paul would be released from that imprisonment until the second imprisonment where he says, my departure's at hand. And I fought the good fight. You know, but my departure, I'm going somewhere. And there's a crown of righteousness that awaits for me. So all of that, so you understand it. And Daniel chapter 12 speaks of, it seems to indicate, the Old Testament saints that they will be resurrected at this time of, of trouble. And we know that as, you know, the, the believers, the Gentile believers that are tribulation saints, they will be resurrected. We know that those who enter into the millennium reign uh, at the end, they will eventually receive their new heavenly bodies. It's a study that 
time doesn't allow us to get into detail today, but know that all those who are in Christ, all those who are believers, the Old Testament saints, the church, you know, the tribulation saints, those who go through the millennium reign, we're all part of what is called the first resurrection. And then there is a second resurrection of Revelation chapter 20. And that happens at the end of the millennium reign when the unrighteous dead will be resurrected and they will stand before the great white throne judgment and they will be sentenced to the lake of fire. Jesus spoke about the resurrection in John chapter 5. Let me read it to you. That he's saying that life has been granted to me by the Father and, and life and judgment. And he has given the Son of Man authority to execute judgment. And do not marvel, verse 28 of John chapter 5, again for you note takers, at this. For the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I am so blessed and thankful that I know that I have been washed by the blood of Jesus and been forgiven and will be a part of the first resurrection. I also know that the vast majority of people that have come through the services and watched us on, on live stream, that, that they too are going to be part and you're going to be a part of the first resurrection because of your faith in Jesus Christ. But if anyone is listening... And if you are here and you've never called out on the name of the Lord, there will be an end. There is a culmination to your life. A thousand people born, a thousand people die. Daniel, in this chapter, we've learned that there are some very troubling times coming, such as the world has never seen or ever will, but there will be an end to it. There's a culmination to it, to the Lord's return, his kingdom, a resurrection. As we've gone through the book of Daniel, I think that a lot of you, that some of you have learned for the very first time the timeline of Bible prophecy. There's the rapture of the church, the tribulation period. We see that there's the, the abomination of desolation in the middle of the tribulation period. The second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of that seven-year period. The thousand-year reign of Christ and then a new Jerusalem and a new heaven and new earth where we're going to be with the Lord for all eternity. But I want to remind us of this, that every single one of us, that you individually, you have a timeline. And you can fill out that timeline. The day that you were born, maybe perhaps the first day you went to school, when you graduated, when you got married perhaps, the date of your kids or your grandkids, when you retired. There are entries into that timeline that are painful. The trial that you went through, the loss you went through, the difficulty that you went through. And there will be one last entry on that timeline. And that is the date of your death. You can't fill that out right now. We don't know, but God knows because he has our days numbered. He's fastened our days. Now we know that on that timeline, on this side of eternity, that life will continue after death. 
Life continues. The question is, where is it going to continue for you? Again, a vast majority can say, I know that I'm going to go to heaven because of my faith in Jesus Christ. I am forgiven and washed by the blood of Jesus Christ. For those who reject the gospel, the Bible is very clear. There is the lake of fire for all eternity. And the most important entry that you can make into your personal timeline is the day that you turn to Christ for salvation, forgiveness, because eternity is real. And it's appointed once for man to die, as the book of Hebrews says, then the judgment. There will be no second chances. There is no purgatory. We know that. Uh, the Bible doesn't mention that. You will either be part of the first resurrection to life or the second resurrection to death. There's no third resurrection. There's no opting out of it. For the unbeliever, there is a standing before the great white throne judgment. And as you are there, anyone who is there, you're not going to be telling God off or making excuses or arguing with him. And anyone who is not written in the book of life will be cast into the lake of fire. For us as believers, the good news is we will stand at the beam of reward seat of Jesus Christ, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, to be judged in the body whether we have done good, whether good or bad. Our works like likened to wood, hay, and stubble, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, or precious metals. We're not going to be judged for salvation because salvation is not a reward. It is a gift. Always remember that. But what we have done for Christ we will receive rewards and crowns. So the question this morning for you and for me who are in Christ, what are you doing for him? How are you living your life? Are you living for Christ? Are you desiring to please him and walk with him, to know him? in your marriage, in the way that you raise your kids, how you treat others? Or are you always in conflict and wanting to get one up on somebody and win the argument and testy and murmuring and complaining all the time? What are you doing for Christ? What am I doing for Christ? It's a question for me. And then in verse 3, and those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of a, the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Be wise. It seems like people today in our culture, they want to be a star. They want to be a movie star, a great entertainer. They want to be a sensation, you know, on social media. I'm, I'm going to do this. I get thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of likes. I want to be noticed. And we have reality TV where people have their fame and want to be famous and all of that. And it can trickle even into the church where pastors and evangelists and worship leaders that there's a motivation. I want to shine bright before the people. I want to be a star. Be wise. And to be wise in the best sense of the word and for all eternity is give people the gospel. And you pray for them. Because you are here for such a time as this. And he's placed you where you are for you to give truth, 
for you to give the gospel to those around you. And you might be thinking, well, I don't want to give the gospel to that person who really has hurt me or just annoys me or bothers me. Go to the Lord. Because I want you to think about this. In Luke chapter 16, there's a story of, and I don't think it's a parable, I think it's a story. Because in the parables that Jesus tells in the Synoptic Gospels, there's never a name given. Here in this account, this story, Jesus tells of Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus goes to, to paradise, to Abraham's bosom. There's a chasm. On the other side, there's, there's Haiti, the unrighteous dead. And the rich man is there. And he calls over to Abraham. He sees him and Lazarus on the other side of the chasm. He says, hey, can you have, have Lazarus... Can you have him dip his finger in the water and come over and touch my tongue because I'm in such torment. I'm so thirsty. Can't do that. I can't imagine spending all eternity where you're in torment and you're just thirsty. Listen, no one's getting away with anything. And I know that there are those in your life that maybe perhaps have hurt you and have experienced injustice or prejudice or cut you deep. But eternity is real. And I think about how Christ has died for me when I was at my worst and I was cruddy and I deserve death. But Jesus loved me so much that he took that cross and went to that place of execution and hung between heaven and earth and he did it for me. And he did it for you. And he did it for that person that you just seem like, no way, Lord. You know, when we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to regret ever praying for somebody's salvation. I do wonder if we'll regret not praying for their salvation. Eternity is real, and we're rushing towards it. So what are you doing in the timeline that you have left? Are you praying for them, the people around you? Are you looking for the Lord to help you and guide you in everything? To please him with your life? I hope you're not just living for the world. Because we see where the world is headed. Live for Christ. Live for him. Because the day is going to come where I pray for all of us that we hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in these few verses, there's so much that is here. It just causes us to ponder and think and in the honesty of our lives and living for you. And Lord, that life is short. So I pray that you would help us to number our days, as Moses said. And to live for you, prioritize you, walk with you.
live in a way that is pleasing to you. And I do want to, for those who are listening or maybe on the radio later, or if you're here in this place at this service, that you have not made a commitment to Christ, he died for you and his love for you. He is your salvation. There is none other. And the invitation is always to come. Repent, that is, turn direction. Quit going the direction you're going, the attitudes that you have. Humble yourself and turn to Jesus. He loves you. And he went to that cross for you. And he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price for your sins as he made atonement for your sins. And he says, come in faith. Believe in me that I am the Son of God who died for you and rose again. And as you sincerely do that, you will be saved. Today is the day of salvation. Don't leave this place if you're not right with God. You call on the name of the Lord. And you can do that right now, sincerely in your heart. You can pray, Jesus, I ask that you forgive me of my sins. Forgive me. I believe that you died for me, you rose again, you're alive, and I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. And I do thank you for this new beginning and bring me into the family of God. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. And for all of us, that we would shine as we bring people to righteousness, that is the righteousness of Jesus Christ, to speak the truth in love, to live for you, Lord as we rush towards eternity. I thank you for the deliverance we have that comes through Christ and the blessed hope, the living hope that we have that comes through him. Lord, as we conclude this service, and for those who need prayer, that they would come up and receive prayer. If they made a decision for the Lord, that they would let one of the prayer members team knows so we can encourage them and bless them. But Lord, I thank you for the work that you've done in this place today. And bless us as we leave and go our way. In Jesus' name, amen. You may all stand.
week. Uh, if you need prayer, we are here to pray with you.